good morning, everybody. It is so good to be with you this morning. I um, uh, I was disturbed by a, a story I heard on the news today, and um, it almost got me to the point where I was just going to be like, you know, this is so ridiculous, but I'm not even going to mention it. It's just another one of those typical stories that we've been hearing about people who have been... Um, uh, fighting with everything that's going on. And to me, it just seems so ridiculous when um, the gospel is so much more important. Uh, I- I'm going to take my mask off because I want you to be able to see when I smile because I am smiling. And um, I want you at home to be able to see my facial expressions. But if uh, for any reason, you know, it's a good thing I'm not like Tony Campolo, who was a famous uh, uh, psychologist and preacher. He, people, when they would come to hear him, they'd be like three or four rows deep with umbrellas because Tony was known to spray. So um, I, I'm not a sprayer, I don't think, but uh, just in case, if, Cindy, if you feel a little uh, worried that I, I might be spraying, if you got, yeah, Karen, if you're feeling a little worried, I might be spraying, then uh, go ahead and let me know. And uh, I want to make sure that um, I'm going to do all I can to uh, protect uh, each and every one of you. So I'm going to ask if you'll go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we're going to be looking at the whole chapter. But the first 15 verses are just kind of like a, a, a quick recap from a couple weeks ago when uh, Roger shared about a disciple's task. And uh, then we're going to be digging on into uh, the rest of that chunk of that passage from verses four, uh, 16 to 42. So if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and, and read um, from 16 to 42. So if you're at home, Get your Bibles out or get your phones on or however you're going to look at God's word and and follow along. Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved." When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the roof housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not the two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 
and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. With that, I'd like to thank Roger very much for giving me this easy passage and, uh, you know, that's um, filled with uh, a lot of uh, persecution, a lot of strife, a lot of struggles. And uh, I'm kidding, all of God's word is awesome, and, and I'm thankful to be able to, to open this up and share it with you today. Um, uh, first off, like I said, I want to recap uh, from a couple weeks ago. So disciples, Roger shared with us, disciples are Christ-centered, not man-centered. And he went through those first 15 verses, and he packed it with so much good insight. And he also shared that disciples learn from, they follow, and obey Jesus, focusing on verses 2 through 6. And then in verses 7 through 15, where he really focused and hit good, was disciples are those who proclaim the truth. You could say instead of proclaim, they preach. They make sure, and that truth, that's the gospel. And that's what disciples do. That's our task. And Roger was able to show how not only was it the disciples or these 12 apostles' task, but those same things are true for anybody who calls themselves a disciple. This morning, um, I'm going to be digging on in, and I, you know what? It's a, it's a lame title. I know. Sorry. You know, I just called it the Disciples' Handbook. I could have called it Jesus' Instruction Manual. Uh, I could have called it all kinds of other things. You know, I'm trying to be clever, but I'm just not clever. So I just looked at it, it's the Disciples' Handbook, and, and some of the ground rules that I want to set before we dig on in is that we're going to look at, okay, what is a disciple and, and, and what's an apostle? Because here they're, they're kind of interchanged. But a disciple, and, and I've, I've put a lot of notes onto these instead of me kind of zipping them on in because I figure, hey, I know sometimes I can't write fast enough when Roger's going through some of his slides. You know, but that's just me, but maybe some of you are like me, and so I just put the whole pot kit and caboodle up on this thing, and then you can be looking at that while I'm talking or, you know, whatever. But um, the ground rules, a couple things. First of all, number one, disciple is by definition a learner or a student, okay? But in the first century understanding of what a disciple is, that was understood when you use that word disciple, that, that meant that you were a follower, Okay, there's a, there's a subtle difference there, and even those, old, those words are interchanged. You know, we can read throughout, there's over 200 and I believe 68 or 69 times where the word disciple is used, but you know what, that doesn't mean that those are necessarily Christians or that they're true believers. Because there's a lot of times that word is used just as somebody who's learning, who wants to learn about Jesus. We can find throughout the Gospels where it talks about, oh, and here's some disciples he was talking to. That doesn't mean that they had committed. So they were learners. But it's also used in the idea of, okay, a follower. Now, I put up there Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
And, and what does verse 20 say? Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now I want you to know something. Um, this isn't the first instance where Jesus called his disciples. Because in John chapter 1, we see that John the Baptist had his disciples, and one of them was Andrew, Simon's brother. And, and Andrew went from being a disciple of John the Baptist, whose whole mission was to decrease so that Christ could increase. And John the Baptist even said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And we find in there that all of a sudden, okay, there goes Andrew. He goes on over there. And then we read throughout that passage that then he went and told his brother, his brother Peter, Simon. And there's, there's these instances where, I don't know about you, but I thought when I re read in the Gospels that, okay, and it says, and they followed him, that, yeah, from now on. Guess what? There was multiple times where they followed him for a little bit, but then guess what? I, I, they had to get back to their trade. They had to get back to their other responsibilities. And so I, I want you to understand that following in this case doesn't mean it's like, okay, there's nothing else. This is all I'm doing. They, the disciples, they, they were kind of, I'm going to say, torn. Because Jesus was talking about these things that they had never heard before. They were anticipating as Jews. The Messiah, the coming king. Wow. But they thought it was going to be so much different than what Jesus was trying to share with them. He was coming. He's the Lamb of God to be slain. Remember when Peter said, no way. Cooper interpretation. Or the, the Craig Cooper version. Not a chance. I'm going to let that happen, Lord. And what did Jesus tell them? Get behind me, Satan. You're not going to interrupt my father's mission. I have to. And so when we look at these things, I just wanted you to get that idea. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, which, man, I'd love just to preach just on, on those three verses, 23 through 25. But it says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. So understand that in that culture, they understood what disciple was. It was a follower it wasn't just somebody who was learning information. It was somebody who's like, okay, this is who I'm going to hitch my wagon to. And yeah, I'm all in. Now, another thing we need to know is, is that an apostle is a messenger or a missionary or a representative. And, and if you look at chapter 10... And, and you see that um, right in the first verse, it says, and he called them, or he called to him his 12 disciples. Now, there was other disciples there. But Jesus called these 12 out. And it says, and gave them authority. Oh, man, there's such good stuff there. Over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then verse 2, the names of the 12 apostles are these. All of a sudden, here, here's kind of a change. They're still disciples, but now here's a different function that, that the Lord has called them to. And the 12 were both a disciple and apostle. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. I think you're pretty familiar with that when it talks about and some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, different giftings for different people. Some of them have more than one. Not everybody has them all. And yet... I want us to see these differences because I'm going to be focusing, even though these are the apostles, I'm going to be focusing in on the discipleship aspect of it, if that's okay with you.
So, the Disciples Handbook. Uh, number one, disciples, I'm going to talk about their mission first. So the disciples' mission was to preach to the lost among Israel. And again, I, I, don't, I don't want to go back and try and re-preach what, what Roger shared with us, but I want to kind of get us caught up to understand because the next part you'll understand. But in verses 5 um, through 7, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. So they weren't to go down south into Samaria. They weren't to go anywhere outside of just those Jewish cities in close proximity. Why? And he says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim, preach as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen, Jesus is, is sending these guys out. They haven't had the full three years of mentoring, of being trained fully. This is still toward, who knows? I can't say it's at the beginning. I just know it's not at the end. And he's giving them ex experience. He's allowing them to go on out and do things that, to this point, only Jesus did. But they don't do it in their own power or in their own strength. Look back at verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority. The authority that the Father had given to the Son, the Son was now passing on and giving authority to these 12 apostles. It wasn't them who's doing or who was about to do these incredible miracles. It's still God. They're just doing it under his authority, in, under his power. And what did he give them authority to do? Uh, he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He gave them the authority to cast them out. He gave them the authority to heal every disease and every affliction. He gave them the authority in verse 8 to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and also to cast out demons. This was all under the authority that Jesus gave them. Without the authority, they do nothing. And there's nothing different Nothing's changed today. The false teachers, we'll get to them. They claim to do all kinds of things. It's not under the authority of Jesus. They're doing it for false motives, whether for recognition, whether for money, whatever it might be. These guys were specifically sent on out so that Jesus and only Jesus would get the glory, not themselves. Next thing we see about their mission is, is twofold. Uh, they were to witness to the Gentiles. They were to witness to the Gentiles. Verses 17 and 18 says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Now listen, this is still part of the Jewish leaders. That's still included in there. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. That can be the religious. That can be the Jews. That can be the Rome, Romans. But it says to bear witness all these things are going to happen. Why? To bear witness before them and who? And the Gentiles. Basically, what Jesus was doing is he was setting up the fact that, guess what? I'm not going to send you out to all these groups because, again, my own conjecture, maybe you're just, it's going to be too overwhelming. I'm going to tell you right now, the lost sheep of Israel, that's my priority. We're going to get to the Gentiles but it's gonna be hard enough with the nation of Israel, with that remnant. I mean, think about how they were treating Jesus, the religious leaders, how smug they were, how upset they were that Jesus is like, 
wait a minute, he, he's turning everything upside down here, literally. And they're like, nah. And even though they had been anticipating, and today are still anticipating the coming Messiah, they didn't recognize him. They didn't want to acknowledge him. And so Jesus, in this mission that he's sending these disciples out to, it's twofold. First of all, don't go anywhere else. You're going to focus on my lost sheep of Israel. My heart's right there. They're first. Then later on, you're going to be witnessing to the Gentiles. It's almost like one of those things, kind of like, trust me. <laughs> maybe, maybe if you knew what you were really going to be getting into, you'd be like, uh-uh. Right? But he does go on and, and, and explain. And so I, I look at that and I'm, I'm just like, wow. That was their twofold mission. Now, I want you to see something also that one was short-term because that was the present. That was at that point when Jesus is talking to them and then when he does, he sends them on out and they were going to Israel right then. Think of it like today, we have short-term missions where you know, there's, there's individuals or there's groups of people who go over into uh, different countries or different places. It can even be within our own country. And they go and they do uh, ministry work. We've done that down in Mexico. I've done that in the heart of L.A. When I was a youth pastor, do you know it was easier for me to take kids halfway around the world to the Philippines than it was for me to allow me, uh, the parents, to let me take their kids 20 minutes away from where we lived, because I was down in Manhattan Beach, to go to L.A. Right? Short-term missions. And then there's a longer-term mission. That, that was, when Jesus is talking about this, he's talking about this is going to be happening in the future. Maybe really near, but, but also there's going to be in the far. If you were to turn in your Bibles, I, I gave you some examples here of in the book of Acts. And all of a sudden, there's Peter and John, and they're called before the Jewish officials, and there's priests there, there's, there's temple guards, there's the Sadducees, and they're put in jail overnight. And then there's uh, the next day, it says in verse 5, that there was rulers and elders and scribes, and they're all there, and they're kind of going, what are we supposed to do? These guys healed somebody, and, and we want to shut them up. But they're like, nope. They remember their mission. We're to proclaim the truth. We're to tell people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent because the Messiah has come and will come again. How about in Acts chapter 12? Uh, James and Peter were, were before the authorities in Israel. And you know what? In, in Acts chapter 12, they, they were before Herod Agrippa I, who happened to be the grandson of King Herod, who was trying to kill Jesus. And so now there's, there's uh, Herod Agrippa, and, and he got it because of his relationships with some of the Roman guys, some of the Roman emperors. So when he was growing up, he hung out with them and played with them. So I'll say, oh, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, Agrippa, yeah, yeah, you can have that area. And so we read in chapter 12, it says, now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. I'm tired of popping. Maybe I'll still pop, but I gotta pop my button. There we go. And then he says this. The king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So here's a future instance of what Jesus was preparing his disciples to understand what was happening. So James is already put to death with a sword and says, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Man, I did not know that he was that powerful that it took four squads of guards 
to watch over him. But I love it. And it says, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. And then if you know the story, an earthquake, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, and incredible. Incredible stuff. Also, uh, Paul and Barnabas at uh, Iconium. Now, it tells us in, in that chapter, chapter 14, that both Jews and Greeks were there, and because of their preaching, both groups of people were coming to Christ. But there was also the other group, both groups of Jews and Gentiles, probably the only time they ever got along in their life, when they coincided and said, we got to stop this. Yeah, we're not too happy about it either. This is messing things up for us. Yeah, it's messing things up for us too. So they, they had a common bond, even though they're enemies, and they just said, man, this stinks. So they, they attempted to stone them. And by stoning, that was something that the Jews did. That wasn't a Gentile kind of uh, form of discipline. So the Gentiles went along with the Jews. Yeah, let's go ahead. So those are just examples of what they were going to be facing in the future. Now let's look at this opposition. Let's look at the opposition. In verse 16, it says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The first opposition we see is wolves. The wolves in verse 16. Now, as I was studying this, I thought, man, could, could all the rest of them possibly be underneath that one big category of wolves? But they aren't. They're separate. Because wolves, they, uh, they're false teachers. Let me read for you Matthew just a few chapters earlier, chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, these false prophets, they deceive not, catch this, not by disguising themselves as sheep. That, that, that's how we kind of read it in our English. but it's by impersonating true shepherds. And so the sheep's clothing, uh, commentators, some of them, and, and I happen to agree with those who, who coincide with this, that woolen outfit, kind of like the, the, the garb that the, the shepherds would wear, was characteristic of what a, a shepherd would wear in that day. And for a long time, I had read this verse differently. I just thought, oh man, these false prophets, they're going to look like sheep. I, I, I'm not, I don't think that's true. Because false prophets are trying to stand out. They're trying to make everybody else say, look at me. I know more than you. I have more authority than you do. And so to me, that seems to make a whole lot more sense. In Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30, we read this that Luke penned. And he was, he was talking about what, what Peter had been saying. He says, I know that after my departure, this is Peter's uh, words, fierce wolves will come in, uh, in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So these wolves are false teachers that just want to get on in and be able to get people's ears. You know, i got to tell you something. Um, I, I had one of those in my life group a few years ago. Nice guy. Attended our church. Really nice. Teaching incorrect incorrect doctrine and he loved it when people would kind of oh wow you know so much he would take god's word and twist it in such a way that he was making god's word say things that that's not what god was saying that's a false prophet 
They're warned. Here's who your opposition is going to be. Also, religious people. You know, um, uh, before I get onto that, D.A. Carson, who, who's someone that I really admire, in one of his commentaries, he said, in their mission as sheep among wolves, the disciples were to be shrewd or wise in avoiding conflicts and attacks where possible. Because that's why Jesus said, be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. And he goes on, but they must also be innocent, not so cautious or suspicious or cunning that circumspection degenerates into fear. I don't know about you, but I feel like I have to walk that balance all the time. I, I don't want to be so cunning or shrewd that all of a sudden I start to get prideful and start to feel like, oh, yeah, look at me. I, I really put that person in their place, didn't I? <laughs> don't you wish you knew as much as I did? <laughs> yeah. And also in that innocence, it's, it's not to be so naive that you can't discern what truth is. It takes both. And that's what Jesus was trying to prepare them for. You've got to be wise. Because I'm telling you, these guys are going to attack. Because that's what wolves do. Wolves aren't pets. They attack. They devour. And so Jesus is trying to help them. Man, you've got to know who the opposition is. And he also talks about the religious people. In verse 17, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. I mean, can you imagine that? Imagine today, okay, today. This is our synagogue. And yet, it's like, yeah, I think it's time for us. I think we need a little flogging. Hey, let's pick somebody out and let's, you know, bring them on in here. And we're just going to flog them. We're going to make them an example. They broke a law. Ooh. Of course we wouldn't do that. But that happened back in these days. So the very place where they would gather to worship God, they were flogging people. And that had happened to some of the disciples because they were preaching the good news of Jesus Christ and Jesus prepared them for it. How about the government? Um, we don't have time. I don't want to get into the government, um, but just to say that uh, the government has its purpose. I am uh, not a political person. Uh, there are not uh, very many people who know um, what I think, what I feel, how I vote. I want it to be about the gospel. I don't want it to be about politics. I'm tired enough of seeing uh, how uh, the church is divided. Jesus dealt with it. Because it was a necessity. We, we see in Romans 13 that we need to uh, submit ourselves to the government. And we have Revelations 13 that talks about, hey, man, there's some corruption. There's some bad stuff in the government. You can't have one without the other. You can't. You have to be able to try to work through this balance of, okay, we need to submit to the point that it's not going to uh, infringe upon our worship of God. And, and at the same time, we also know, hey, I remember, I think it was uh, Roger Johnson one time said, the definition for politics, poly meaning many and ticks, blood-sucking bugs. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. And so the government, he was warning about what's going to happen. He says, and you will be dragged away in verse 18, dragged away before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them 
and the Gentiles. And he goes on, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. I love the next verse too. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Can I tell you on my prayer over here, I prayed. I prayed that. Tom Canavino is a great encourager to me, and he always reminds me, just be a suit of clothes. Just be the suit of clothes and, and get out of the way and let God speak. And so I tell you, um, anything that I say that is uh, an encouragement, that is edifying, that brings glory to God, that is Him. And anything I say that is with error, or wrong, please understand, that's when I'm cutting the Holy Spirit off. Okay? And, and I've had people praying for me that that wouldn't happen. And I hope your prayers are answered. But the government, and then guess what? Family. This one's hard. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Man, I, I don't know about you. I don't like this. I don't like this part that Jesus talks about. It's hard. I don't want to think about families divided. Later on in, in verses 34 through 37, he, he goes on and he says, um, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Wait a minute. That's not what Isaiah says in 9.6. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Prince of peace. Wait, wait. I, I, think, I, I think Matthew wrote this wrong. How, how can that be? But Jesus is very focused here. He says, for, I'm not, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. If that's not bad enough, look at what he says next. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Oh, man. I'm, I struggle with that. I just do. Until I get a better understanding of what Jesus is trying to communicate. He's trying to communicate nothing Nothing comes before me. Nothing. And then I'm left to wrestle with the fact of, oh boy, I've taken Jesus off the throne and I've put family members on the throne. I want to say, Jesus, yeah, you're my true love. But what do my actions show? And so Jesus is just trying to, I mean, you talk about a sober reality. He's not pulling any punches. And he just hits. Rejection by loved ones. You know, I was thinking, I'll share some stories about those people who've come to Christ. And, and you know, I love uh, our Thursday morning time of prayer with Tony Handel and, and Mike Gassaway and, and Tom Canavino and Jim Berg. And, and when others jump on in and join us and, and you know, hearing Tom share stories. See, these people in other countries, they know what persecution is. They've lost their lives. They've lost their families. They've lost their reputation. They've lost what we would consider, you know, all these worldly goods. Their education, their jobs, their homes. 
They are dead to their families. And yet, the joy that they have, it so inspires me. The joy that they have from knowing Christ. It's like when Paul says, I consider all these other things that maybe the world holds me up and says, whoa, wow, you're so special. He says, I consider them all garbage. Garbage compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing my Savior. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate. And he's saying it's going to be difficult. You know, if we were going into battle, you know, we'd be stupid not to be uh, uh, underestimating who we're going up against, wouldn't we? And so he's trying to prepare them for here's the opposition and here's what you can expect. Here's what they're going to try and throw at you. Floggings, public ridicule, threats, physical harm, rejection. That's just some of them. But you know what? Now I want to go to the resources. The, re the disciples' resources. Number one, Jesus' authority. Do not underestimate that. They had Jesus' authority. And so do we. We're co-heirs with Christ. We're his brother. We're his sister. We are adopted sons and daughters of the Father. We have the Father's authority because we have Jesus' authority. Hmm. The shepherd's instructions. This whole passage is basically Jesus' instructions. So... He tells them where to go and where not to go in verses 5 through 6. In verses 17 through 18, he tells them what to do and what to say. In verse 1 and verses 7 through 8, he tells them when to stay and when to leave. You go to this house. If they receive you, you stay. If they don't, get out of there. Go to the next house. Don't waste your time. You're giving them an opportunity. You're proclaiming the truth. If they don't listen, that's not on you. Folks, that's not on us. If people listen to us or not, but here to me is the bigger thing. Can they even hear us? See, I think most of the time we're not talking. So how could they hear us? And we get so caught up in being worried about, well, I don't know what the right words is there. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I just don't feel confident. Or I, I'm just, I don't know. It's like you have a testimony. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a testimony. All you do is share, this is my life before Christ. This is what happened when Christ came into my life. And here's where I'm at. None of us are perfect. And there's not a perfect testimony. But when we don't share it, what we're saying is, Jesus, yeah, you, you didn't do that much for me. Because mine's not as sensational as somebody else. How belittling and demeaning is that to Jesus? Who died for your sins? To say, well, mine's not that special. He died for you. And for me. He even told them what to take and what not to take. Hey, don't take any extra shoes. Don't take an extra staff. Don't even take extra money. I'm going to send you. You're going to go. And guess what? The people who receive your message, they'll, they'll take care of your needs. Don't worry about it. They didn't need a caravan. Just what they had on them not extras. He told them what to anticipate. He was prepared. He was getting them prepared. He didn't want them to get caught off guard. Now, even though he's trying to prepare them, I'm sure that as they went to certain places, like, whoa, can you believe that? 
No, man, I can't wait to dust the sh off my shoes and get out of here because I'm scared. I told him, don't fear. Don't fear, man. The worst he can do is take your life. <laughs> That's nothing. That's nothing. Because I give life. Don't worry that they're going to take your life. Because I give eternal life. And guess what? I also give eternal death. I'm the one you should fear. And he also reminds them that they are valued. He knows the numbers of hair on their heads. And he says, if I take care of these flock of birds, how much more am I going to take care of you? So brothers and sisters, I hope we can remember these things. And the third resource that he gave them was right there in verses 19 to 20. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. There's nothing we can't do. There's nothing... Finally, you know, I, I, I struggle with this one. The disciples' reward. Because in verses 40 through 42, Jesus talks about um, rewards. And he says, For whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Well, as I struggle with, okay, what exactly is a prophet's reward or a righteous man's reward? Or what is it that, that reward that you won't lose? You know, uh, just the best thing I could do is just look at Matthew chapter 25 and, and look at verses 33 through 40. It says, And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I, Wow, that sure sounds a lot like what Jesus was preparing them to do. And then verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see a stranger and welcome you? And then Jesus' answer, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I want to close with two quotes, both by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. First quote, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Never forget that. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Do you know, in the Bible, we're not told to make Christians. Oh, no, Craig, what are you doing? Blasphemy. We're not. That word's only used three or four times. And a majority of the time, it's a derogatory term. Oh, you little Christ, you Christians. It's derogatory. But we are called to make disciples. Jesus didn't say in the Great Commission, uh, go and make Christians. He said, go and make disciples learners, followers, who will then make other disciples. You can battle with me on that one all you want. I'm just going off the Great Commission. And then finally, when the next quote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was 40. He was a brilliant man. He opposed Germany. 
His friends begged him to get out of there. He even left, went to the Americas, and then he went to England to teach because all of the religious leaders of Germany were corrupt. They were just selling their souls to the Nazi propaganda. And Bonhoeffer said, "Uh uh-uh. And then his conscience got to him so much, he said, well, you can just wait and go back after this war is over. He goes, how can I possibly go back and pick up the pieces, help pick up the pieces, when I'm not there in the battle now? And he came back. He was put in camp for two years, and he was killed by the gallows. Uh, Literally just days before the war ended. But see, he had already died the moment he became a Christian, the moment he became a disciple. Because when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Folks, I'm so challenged by that kind of faith. Jesus chose the disciples for what they would become not for what they were at the moment of summons. And he does that with you and I. We're still becoming. That's what transformation is. The day of salvation, okay, that's that's settled. But if you stop growing, if you stop allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out, if you stop following, if you stop serving, if you stop obeying, there's a lot more scripture that says, you know what, chances are you're not a true believer. You might be one of these other disciples who just kind of hung around or followed Jesus until it's like, "Eh, I don't think so. Read John chapter 6. Read about all the disciples that followed Jesus and then turn their back. I close with Matthew 10, 38 through 39. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. It's hard. It's hard to wrestle with. But I'm so grateful and so thankful that it is worth everything. Everything. Just like it was worth everything to you to sacrifice your son, to pay the price that we couldn't so that by our acceptance, by our belief, Lord, we now have fellowship with you, not just here now, in this kingdom now, but in the kingdom to come. So I thank you and praise you for your challenge. I thank you for those men who took on that call and who allowed so many to come into relationship with you. God, may we be men and women today who accept that challenge as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.